Caitlin, uh, there is also activity where you are outside the courthouse there. Who exactly has been in and out today, and what are they up to? Well, who we've seen today are some attorneys for some of the fake electors for Donald Trump in Georgia after the 2020 election. And the reason that they're coming to this courthouse uh, is because they want to do that before they go over to the jail where Zach is and was just speaking about what's happening whenever defendants in this case are being arrested. But they're coming over here first because their attorneys are negotiating with the district attorney's office, the prosecutors on this case, about bond so that whenever they go to the jail, they don't have to sit there for a very long time and wait to post their money. They can have that all worked out and approved by a judge before they turn themselves in for their arrest. So the three, uh, there were three groups of lawyers we've seen so far related to this case out of the 19 defendants. There were several yesterday who came in, including Donald Trump's attorneys to negotiate his bond agreement. But today it was Sean Stills attorney, David Schaefer's attorney, Kathy Latham's attorney. All three of these are prominent uh, GOP officials, fake electors for Donald Trump. One of the attorneys for uh, David Schaefer was leaving. Here is what he had to say whenever we catched him exiting the courthouse. Have you been in touch at all with the former president? <laughs> I take that as a no. No. There are several more who have not yet gone through this process yet uh, that we are expecting that they will by Friday at noon to both have their bonds negotiated and arrested and also be arraigned under their pleadings of not guilty. Some of those boldface names we're still waiting on. Rudy Giuliani. Sidney Powell and others, some of the most prominent attorneys that surrounded themselves uh, or became part of the Trump campaign after the 2020 election and were enmeshed in Donald Trump's administrative activities when he was the president and now have received quite a bit of infamy for what they are accused of doing after the 2020 election. And at least one of them saying doing so at the former president's direction. There has been now one more effort to move this state case to a federal court, what do we know and, and, and what do we know about the potential time frame for that? So many moving parts here in this case in state court. So this racketeering case charges several people including Donald Trump himself, but several people who had some sort of an affiliation as an official in uh, the federal government at the time of the election or shortly after. And those people are popping up to say, we want to get this case out of state court. We want to put it in the federal court system, a different court system, one where there's no cameras allowed and they play slightly different rules there whenever you have a court proceeding. And so the most uh, prominent motion to do this so far has come from Jeffrey Clark, the Justice Department official who Donald Trump considered installing as attorney general to try and overturn some of the results in various states. And Jeffrey Clark, he's asking the federal court to put the whole case on hold, get all of the defendants, all 19 moved out of state court into federal court before a federal judge rather than a state judge, perhaps a judge that could have been appointed by Donald Trump. Uh, and so he's asking for that to happen. The timeline on this is he wants something to happen fast. Mark Meadows already has a hearing on one of these similar motions set for Monday. Kaylin Polantz outside the courthouse there. Thanks so much, Boris. Let's expand the conversation now with CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Elliot Williams. Elliot, let's start with the two co-defendants that just surrendered. First, John Eastman. He put out a statement through his attorneys essentially saying that 
he was just doing his job. He says that he was uh, being charged for, quote, zealous advocacy of Donald Trump, who he was ethically bound to represent. Could that be a successful defense? It could. Uh, he could have been zealously advocating on behalf of the president, or he could also have been carrying out crimes at the direction mm. of the president. And that'll be for a court and a jury to sort out. Any number of the individuals in this uh, case, Boris, their attorneys who were providing advice to other people, that advice often ended up being, at least as alleged, criminal misconduct. And, and as evidence comes out, and certainly as this gets to trial, you know, he can get in big trouble for it. David Schaefer, uh, who reached a bond agreement with prosecutors today, he also is essentially saying that he was just doing his job. He acted at the behest of President Trump. He actually provided uh, a transcript of right. a meeting about fake electors. Um, could his ability yeah. to point to documents that say, hey, this is what they asked me to do. I was just doing what they asked right. me to do. Could that have an impact on his yeah. case? So what that's about is to what he's what he's asking to do is move the case into federal court. It's right now in, in Georgia state right. court. They would like to move it into federal court. In order to do that, you have to establish that some officer, perhaps the president of the United States, was acting in the context of their office, not as a candidate, not as an individual, but as president. By saying that the president was writing me memos, He's saying necessarily, look, the president was doing his job as president, therefore we should all be moved into federal court. It's an argument that might work. Again, there's entire classes in law school on just this one idea, how yeah. you get things into federal court. It's very hard, it's very confusing, and a, and a court has to sort it out. It's interesting to me that so far there's only been a handful of co-defendants out of the 19 that have surrendered and, and turned themselves in. Are you anticipating a, a rush by Thursday, Friday? Yeah, I think the next 72 hours, uh, Look, when you have 15 defendants showing up, I guess that kind of is a rush. It's like a bank run on going <laughs> to court, but but they have to. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody wants, setting aside the bluster of you know these big personalities, nobody wants to be put in handcuffs on television, uh, you know, thrown yeah. in a jail cell that they have no control over. They are likely to surrender between now and Friday. Uh, there are certain aspects of this that we still have a lot more questions about, specifically about the former president and his financial help for some of his co-defendants, but we're going to stand by for a moment, Elliot, yeah. if you don't mind and get to Brianna. Actually, we don't have Brianna yet, so I'll just get to it right away. Elliot, one of the stipulations in Donald Trump's bond agreement is over his use of social media, not something that a lot of the other co-defendants have in their bond agreements. Um, is that standard? How is that enforceable? It's increasingly standard over time as we become more of a wired world that's on social media. Juries get instructions now on how they can use their computers and phones while they're sitting as jurors in the case, and it's certainly um, the case for a defendant. Now, this defendant here has a history of social media and aggressive right. posts and threats and so on, so it's not surprising that the judge put it in. Now, to your question about is this enforceable, there's a lot of gray areas when mm. you're talking about speech and online conduct, and the question is, is something a threat? Is it just aggressive language? Is it an unlawful statement? Is it just something that he maybe shouldn't have said? He's got to tweet it first or truth it first, and then the, the court has to bring him in and say, and really pick apart what he did and whether it broke the law. Now there's an interesting scenario at play because this bond agreement comes uh, after we learned that Donald Trump had recorded an interview with Tucker Carlson that's set to air tomorrow night during the Republican debate. It's, it's some sort of counter-programming that they have planned. If Donald Trump said something in that interview with Tucker Carlson that can be perceived, yep. as he said before about Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan and others in Georgia, as 
witness tampering or witness intimidation, but it was said before the bond agreement was reached, could he oh, potentially get in trouble for that? Absolutely. The mere fact that he made the statement before he knew about the bond agreement doesn't change the fact that the statement might still have a threat on a witness in the future. So if it comes out in his public, even if he recorded it a couple days ago, a judge has the discretion, wide discretion, to bring him in and ask him questions about it, and then maybe adjust the terms of his, of his release or his bond. And lastly, Elliot, yeah. uh, we know that Trump has not exactly come to the aid of of these co-defendants in the Georgia case when it comes to finances, Jenna Ellis, Rudy Giuliani, among others, uh, being clear that they are struggling when it comes to pay yeah. all these legal fees. What do you make of that move? A couple things. One, it's a lot of money to pay for lawyers, and, and I think a lot of people are going to struggle in any litigation. What you're beginning to see here is something you see anytime you have multiple defendants in a case. They're just not always going to be uh, in, in alignment with mm. each other over questions like what their strategies are, what their defenses are, but also who's paying. And th this is the kind of thing that'll bubble up and continue through the trial. Um, and we'll just have to see how it gets resolved. And this is the strength of a RICO case, right? Yeah. Where lower level defendants find themselves mired in these legal bills and makes it more likely perhaps that they can flip. And they have a huge incentive to do that because flipping or at least pleading guilty in our system comes with a huge benefit. You get a lower sentence, uh, maybe all kinds of benefits coming to you down the road. They really are incentivized to do it. Now look, this former president does engender a lot of loyalty. Mm -hmm. But I've seen a lot of guys looking at the prospect of jail time really change their minds real quick yeah. when the music starts. May make you question that loyalty. Elliot yeah. Williams, always appreciate the perspective. Thanks.